Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Oh, wow. I am so excited. We are going live from Glasgow COP26. Our question today is COP26, is it a cop-out? I want to go straight out to Leah Phillips, who is with the Plant-Based Treaty. Leah and Jill Carnegie, our correspondent on the scene, actually got to Al Gore and handed him something. Uh, Leah, tell us what you handed him and why that was so very significant. It's your turn to speak. So, uh, yeah, I managed to get to Al Gore. Um, so I handed him a plant-based treaty. Um, it's like our business card with a QR code on the back um, and asked him to endorse the plant-based treaty. Now that was, you make it sound like, oh, it's a walk in the park. I woke up and I walked my dog this morning. No, that was a very difficult thing that you accomplished. Jill Carnegie, you're a journalist there on the scene reporting for us. You were going, uh, you were recording it on your camera as it happened. We caught it. We've already done a story on it. Um, how did it come to pass? Because one of the things we've been hearing about COP26 in Glasgow is it's like 100,000 people outside and then the environmental leaders who are eating meat, we'll get to that in a second, inside and never the twain shall meet. How did you get to him? Well, uh, I can see why watching the video, it looked that way. It was actually Leah filming and doing it. She was a one woman show on that. Um, so I, I haven't been able to be inside. My pass will be for this upcoming week. Uh, however, you, Leah is so charming and yet so assertive that she can honestly get to just about anybody. That's why she's so good at what she does and why she has been getting so much attention paid to this treaty. Now, I will say, Jane, yes, it's absolutely true that the majority of people who actually know what we need to do to solve this climate crisis are on the outside, outside the gates. And these gates are just tall. It looks like a prison outside of this COP26. It's these big, tall metal gates. And, you know, they might as well have the spiked wire over the top. You know, it's really um, just awful to see that kind of separation. But, you know, I guess with the dignitaries, you need to have that security. Uh, however, the divide is definitely very uh, stark. Now, Vegan Evan, you are the youngest, possibly one of the youngest, certainly um, attendees at Glasgow COP26. What has your message been? Uh, just tell us what you've been saying. Well, we're trying to raise awareness of how the number one cause of the climate crisis and greenhouse gas emissions, ocean dead zones, habitat loss, species extinction it's all animal agriculture and while they're talking about oil and fossil fuels animals are dying and our planet is being polluted and you had a message for greta thunberg now greta thunberg is a vegan and we are very proud of her we're not um in any way criticizing greta thunberg but we did have an observation and maybe your mom shannon would like to address that um she did speak. Um, she has 
called out the COP26 leaders as basically engaging in a giant PR stunt and called the entire thing essentially blah, 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 which was a brilliant phrase that has now gone global. But what was your observation, Shannon? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Greta did not mention animal agriculture once again during her entire speech after the march that we all participated in on Friday. And it's extremely disappointing because, like you said, she is vegan and we know that she knows. And she had several opportunities. We've watched the speech over and over again. We've read the transcript and we can't figure out why she's not mentioning this. The whole world is listening to her. And I know that there's so many, especially the younger people would love to, you know, listen to what she has to say if she would just say it. But um, it's not being said about the animals. And we know that even if we got rid of the fossil fuels right now, we would still exceed our uh, gigaton limit on CO2 within a small matter of time on just animal agriculture alone. So this needs to be talked about. Uh, I want to go to a woman who is my hero and inspiration, Anita Krines, founder of the SAVE movement and uh, who launched with an incredible team globally, the plant-based treaty. And so, ah, Dr. Rao is joining us. Wonderful. Anita, tell us what your goal is with the plant-based treaty vis-a-vis um, Glasgow and COP26 with these world leaders converge there, uh, nonetheless still eating animals as they talk about climate change. So the, the point of the plant-based treaty is to uh, have a global, global agreement that would uh, shift the world to a plant-based food system within five years. Uh, if you look at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's sixth assessment, which came out in August, it said we had five years at best to make radical changes to avert catastrophic climate change. And it also suggested that we have a methane emergency. And uh, at least a third of those emissions for me of methane are from animal agriculture. And in order to not go above the 1.5 degrees Celsius target that they set, which is too high, we should be going the other direction, but even to not go above that, methane emissions would have to be cut by 75%. Uh, and, and so in order to do that, you have to quickly phase out animal agriculture and fossil fuels. And, and so the point of the plant-based treaty is for there to be a global agreement. And it's, it's the methane agreement that the world needs. It's the reforestation agreement. It's the you know, the redirecting subsidy agreement, it's all in one. So this, this it has these three broad principles. Uh, uh, one is don't make the problem worse. No, no new animal farms, no new slaughterhouses, no new deforestation for animal ag. The second principle is redirect away from animal agriculture, subsidies, taxes, public information campaigns, and point to the solution, which is plant-based food. And then the third principle is reforestation and restore the earth. And, um, Basically, we're trying to create bottom-up pressure on national governments to negotiate a global treaty. And uh, so Leah and Dr. Salash Rao, Jill, there are, uh, you know, Vegan Evan and Shannon, we're all, they're all in Glasgow, you know, doing that sort of bottom-up pressure while we're also having like this, uh, the global movement is also like rooting for them and, you know, creating actions around the world. Um Thank you, Anita. And uh, I want to go straight out to Dr. Silas Rao 
You are live in Glasgow. You have been speaking in news conferences. Um, you just sent me a Washington Post article that calls out the COP26 summit for serving meat. And when Washington Post, the Washington Post, which is not some <laughs> radical fringe organization, it's right there up there with the New York Times as uh, the paper that everybody reads. And essentially, it said they're serving meat at the climate summit, and they're actually sort of congratulating themselves for being plant forward because a certain percentage is vegetables. Hello, even when you go into a steak restaurant with the potato and the bread, a certain percentage is going to be vegetables. Uh, Dr. Rao, can you tell us what's happening in terms of could this be one of these things where in trying to avoid doing the right thing, they've only highlighted that they've done the wrong thing? Dr. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, you know, <laughs> because in, in trying to do the right thing, and they basically started putting all the carbon um, footprint of the products, of the, of the dishes, and it highlights the fact that they have very high carbon footprint <laughs> items on the menu. And comparatively, there are very low carbon footprint items on the menu, which all happen to be plant-based. So they have literally shot themselves in the foot by doing this you know, and made it obvious to everyone that they should have a completely plant-based menu, and especially at a climate conference. You know, it makes no sense to have meat and dairy at a climate conference. So they have highlighted that automatically by putting the carbon footprint uh, numbers right next to the menu items. And so we just had our first uh, official press conference about the cow in the room. So the cow in the room is officially now on the UN uh, website. And um, so it was awesome. You know? So we, we made it very clear to people that unless you address animal agriculture, we are not being serious about solving climate change. Now, I know you, you, you used to be um, involved with, Dr., uh, with Al Gore, the former vice president of the United States, who did famously The Inconvenient Truth. And uh, many critics have said the really inconvenient truth is animal agriculture, which he hasn't addressed, uh, which is one of the reasons why it was so significant that Leah Phillips got there and was able to actually say, will you endorse the plant-based <laughs> treaty? Um, what has the reaction amongst the so-called environmental leaders been to what has popped up here and there, a try, uh, trying to get through this wall of denial about animal agriculture? Leah uh, actually said, will you sign the plant-based treaty? It's a direct question to one of the world's leading environmental leaders. Uh, Prince Charles is there. He has congratulated himself about the fact that he doesn't eat meat two days a week which is astounding to me for its self-entitlement, self-indulgence, with all due respect. Um, have these leaders gotten the, the message that, wow, you know, their, their act ain't playing on Main Street? Dr. Rao. Yeah, I mean, they are getting the message uh, from multiple directions. You know, we actually managed to give Glenn Mercer's book to Al Gore as well. And I saw him glancing down. What is that book? That's the book, Food is Climate. And it, it says there, um, a response to Al Gore, Bill Gates, and Paul Hawken, and the, and the conventional narrative on climate change. 
And so this one, you know, basically I saw him looking at it and he saw his name there. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to read it when he goes up the elevator because <laughs> his name's yes. right there on the front. So, Jill, you've been there on the ground. One of the things that I noticed, uh, you sent us some reports for our news organization that showed a lot of signs, the plant-based treaty, um, Dr. Rouse cow, other cows, plant-based treaty has done a great job putting out the word. We've got vegan Evan and his mom, Shannon. But when I watched mainstream media coverage, I didn't see any vegan signs. I don't know whether they're editing them out or what. Again, it's, it's the leaders who are in denial about this. But it's also the news media, which is advertiser-based. Look at the advertisements, fast food and pharmaceuticals. Are they going to want to promote something that says, wow, we have to stop eating meat in order to save our planet from a climate apocalypse? So what, was your, what are your observations, Jill, in terms of what, what's happening there in reality on the ground and what the general public globally uh, is seeing on television, et cetera? Well, I will say that on Friday, there was really no excuse to not show some of the signage, some of these visuals, because there was such a giant visible presence for the plant-based treaty and other plant-based groups um, relative to the overall size of the crowd and the march. Now, on Saturday, that was an endless sea of people that could be a coincidence. It was honestly such a big volume. But on Friday... No, we definitely should have seen some of that signage. I will tell you, though, it's interesting that everyone that we speak to, and this is what I keep hearing back from campaigners for plant-based treaty and other plant-based initiatives, is that there's very little resistance to the idea once people are, are talked to about it. And I've met several people who have said that they are going vegan for the planet. But then what's happening is that we try to make our message more uh, soft and apologetic so the media will cover it. But then it ends up with these uh, half measures like Prince Charles only giving up meat two days a week. We need to be getting out there and saying, no, you need to take animals out of your consumer habits because that's ultimately what we need. And so it seems like no matter what we do, the media simply is not going to put out that message for us. We've got some callers. Lisa, your question. Thank you for your wait. Your question, Lisa. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Lisa. I, I actually am... Um, one of the team members at Farm Animal Rights Movement, and I have a couple of things to say. First of all, I wanted to say we are so proud of Vegan Evan and his mom, Shannon Blair, for representing not only us, but all animal rights organizations and everybody who knows that vegan is the only solution. And Jane, I want to say thank you so much for everything you've done from the beginning of your career as a CNN uh, member, uh, now you're with us, you represent us, and we're so proud and honored to have you on our side. I'm just curious as to what the reason is this is being omitted. I mean, it seems like there's, are these people pressured? Are they being threatened? Is it too much of a societal change that has to happen? Because it's so in the fiber of not only our country, but the world, eating meat, using animals, exploiting them, testing them. What is it? Why is this being omitted? It just seems so intentional. And someone from the media, I would love to hear your opinion. Yes. Thank you, Lisa, for all of that. And right back at you for your good work. Dr. Rao, um, I just want to get the 30-second elevator pitch of why 
uh, at this COP26 summit, they are not 100% plant-based and they are uh, leaving out the big cow in the room, as it were. Yeah, we talked about it just now. It's basically, you know, we have a system of normalized violence in which people are making money off death, disease, and destruction. You know, death for the animals, diseases for human beings, and destruction for the planet. And so they are constantly looking for something that will continue to perpetuate the system. And even though it's very clear that, we are, that what is needed is a complete system transformation. I mean, as Vegan Evan has on his T-shirt, the future is vegan. You know, whether they like it or not, or we have no future. He's absolutely right. It's simple. And that is a system of normalized nonviolence that we need to be building. So I, we had a press conference today where I told people, you know, look, it's, it's such an amazing opportunity to be working on a new system of normalized nonviolence. And we should all be focusing on that and then figuring out how to transition from the old to the new, you know, and, uh, how amazing is that, that our generation is being called to do this? Yes, and I want to go, there's so many callers now. I would like to go to Sarah, and maybe you can make your question for Leah. She is live on the ground in Glasgow, and let's face it, she's scored the touchdown so far. She actually handed a card to Al Gore and said, here's the plant-based treaty, will you sign it? Uh, go ahead, Sarah. Hi, my question is for Dr. Silas Rao. I know that you have the cow, Vega. Is she actually giving the book Food is Climate to these people when she writes the letters? Or how is that working? How is the Food is Climate? Because it's such an important message at this conference that they're ignoring. How do we get that out to them? Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, this book, you know, it's, it's basically a summary of my research work. And it was written by Glenn Merzer. Who, is, uh, who has made it so easy for people to understand. Uh, and uh, yeah, Viga is writing letters to these leaders and we are trying to get them this book as well because that's, Al Gore got a copy of the complete book, including all the recipes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he has no excuse. And, but I think, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not hearing anything that he doesn't know. Yeah. I think he knows it, okay. They all know it. They're just, uh, they're just uh, hoping that we don't call them on it. Well, we and are calling them on it right now. Exactly. And we've got somebody on the line, Renee King Sonin, a former cattle rancher's wife turned vegan sanctuary owner. Um, what is your question, Renee? And uh, can you direct it to Leah, please? She is live in Glasgow. Absolutely. Thank you. I uh, am just appalled uh, at, uh, at, the, at the way that they're treating this uh, issue, Leah. And my question is, why do you think, you know, that anyone out there, or how are they going to ever listen? I mean, we are, we're living in a world where addiction is prevalent in our society. And it's like this cow in the room is like the addict in the room. Nobody pays attention. It's like until they die, until they self-destruct, nobody is paying attention. I mean, with all this attention around it, why won't they look and see, you know, our planet needs recovery. Our planet needs to uh, get help. The leaders need help. I mean, the fact that they're not paying any attention is a real sign to me that they're not going to pay attention until we self-destruct. And I just want to know if, if, there's a, if there's a tone of that like that around there. What is going on? 
why aren't they listening to this serious, serious topic? Uh, I agree with you, Renee. Uh, Leah, what is your sense? You're on the ground there in Glasgow. Um, yeah, so I I think there's kind of a bit of a divide. So I would say that some people inside COP, um, in terms of the people who are attending, they they understand that animal agriculture is a huge contributor to the climate crisis. Um, but then, yeah, you still have those people that are continuing to to buy those those beef burgers and those venison sausage rolls. Um, and it just kind of beggars belief that even though they can see um, on the chart, it's, uh, you know, causing massive devastation to the planet, they're still choosing those meat options. And it's it's really devastating that COP decided to, to serve meat. Um, I, I still don't understand why. They, they spoke about having a fully plant-based menu um, and they went back on it. And it just shows that they're they're really it's it's kind of greenwashing that they're, they're not doing what they say they will do. Well, and the the law of unintended consequences, they actually put focus on their uh, morally bankrupt decision. The Washington Post just actually said, well, the meat uh, menu items are so much higher than the plant based menu items. It's obvious that if you want to be environmentally correct, you need to pick, pick the plant-based menu items. And they actually interviewed a whole bunch of people who were aghast that they were serving uh, all these meat items and then applauding themselves, patting themselves on the back that they're being plant forward. That's what they're calling it, plant forward. Uh, I, I, they said it's a, uh, uh, a recipe for change. I said it's a recipe for a hot, hotter planet. It's a recipe for a climate apocalypse. Oh boy, we have so many callers. Quick questions, please. Annie on hold. Your question or thought, Annie. Uh, yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for all that you do. Dr. Rao, Vegan Evan, oh my gosh, you're an amazing, amazing panel here. Thank you all for being here and speaking out. I'm so grateful and thank you for all of you. Um, but I... Also, What's see your question? how they're just the question. My question is, how can we start? Is, is there a possibility to start a committee that will take over? We'll say we are representing the world, the environment, and all the earthlings, animals, and all the earthlings together. Can we? Is that a possibility? Because these people in the government, obviously, their rhetoric is about the status quo. They want to continue it, put a new facade on it, put a new twist, just say what we want to hear about the indigenous people or electric car as solution, where their intention is money, not compassion, not to heal the issue, not to solve the problem, not to heal our planet and all the animals and, of course, human health. Annie, we love you. Thank you. We're just, we got so many callers. We appreciate your comment. Dr. Rao, very briefly, tell us why the United Nations has been essentially co-opted by the meat and dairy industry. Um, the UN itself in 2006 issued a report called Livestock's Long Shadow, which very clearly said that animal agriculture is responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than all transportation combined. Yes, various people can quibble about what exact percentage, because it's such a vast, cosmically vast subject that it can be measured in innumerable different ways. But why is it that they have sort of backtracked and they're not talking about it at all, even though everybody here, as well as 
um, some other groups as well are just desperately trying to punch a hole in the in the wall of denial and get the truth there that we need to discuss animal agriculture and particularly the methane and nitrous oxide aspect of animal agriculture if we want to avoid a climate apocalypse. Dr. Rao. Yeah, it's the, it's the animal agriculture industry playing whack-a-mole, you know, because the truth is going to come out. The truth comes out no matter what, right? It's the UN, there are scientists at the UN who are honest. I mean, who are telling the truth, who have integrity. And, and then the animal agriculture industry tries to squash that. And this has been going on, you know, uh, through the IPCC and uh, the way they create conventions for how to measure things. You can see their hand in, in, uh, in how it is being framed, but the truth will come out. It is the leading cause of climate change. It is responsible for at least 87% in my estimate. Yes. And that's an engineering estimate. And I understand that there are those who differ, but nobody denies that it is a leading cause. I mean, it is a significant cause. And because methane is so much more potent than uh, carbon dioxide, um, it, it has a, an outside, it outsized impact. Anita, can you address that? In other words, people are very confused. Honestly, until I started getting involved with Dr. Rao and you, I didn't really understand anything about carbon. In fact, if you ask most of the people marching on the streets, please define fossil fuels, define carbon, define methane, they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, what is your take on how this is getting lost in the shuffle, perhaps intentionally by uh, government and non-governmental agencies that have been co-opted by the meat and dairy industry? Um, yes, Anita. Yeah, I think um, one of the issues that we need to focus on is the idea that uh, Edmund Burke made that all that is required for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. I think a lot of people do know that animal agriculture is a leading cause of climate catastrophe, and they're not speaking out, you know, uh, with, and we're not speaking out sufficiently. That is actually a real problem. So what do we do to change that? I think that's one of the things we need to focus on. Um, if you look at previous um, catastrophes like genocide, they happened because people were on the sidelines. They weren't willing, they knew that something is wrong, but not willing to speak out. And I say, so I think that's one of the things we need to focus on. How do we get, you know, the, the people that know the truth to, to speak, speak out on the truth. Um, so that's going to be one of our focuses uh, that we've, um, you know, sort of uh, been doing with the plant-based treaty. We try to, we want to create a big tent where it's not just, we're not in the vegan bubble, like we're, we're attracting environmental groups, climate justice groups, you know, all the different groups in society, uh, you know, to, to support, um, support this. Now, in terms of, you know, a, a 101 lesson on global warming or climate chaos, um, you know, there are three leading greenhouse gases that are produced by humans, uh, carbon dioxide, uh, methane, and nitrous oxide. And, and Carbon dioxide comes from the burning of fossil fuels and, and from the burning of forests. And the majority of forests are being burned because of the expansion of animal agriculture. So that's one thing that people need to be clear on. And um, there's, uh, if you look at Amazon, the Amazon is now a net producer of carbon dioxide. That just happened recently. It used to be an important sink, you know, the lungs of the earth. 
That is what is called a mega event. That is such a huge historical event that the Amazon is now a source of carbon dioxide because of the role of animal agriculture. So the expansion of ranching and animal feed production that, that then is exported to China and Europe for, for chicken feed for cows and pigs. Um, and then methane is really important gas to focus on because it, it is accelerating. The emissions are accelerating. Uh, they have doubled in just recent times since, uh, uh, and, and uh, I think it's around, and Celeste Rao can correct me on this, but it's about 1,800 parts per billion now, and it's just going up. And, and uh, this is a short-lived gas in the atmosphere. So if we tackle that, we could prevent, uh, you know, runaway climate change and other mega events from happening. So I think it's absolutely crucial that we, you know, eliminate methane, uh, methane emissions. And to do that, you absolutely have to address uh, animal agriculture and phase it out as quickly as possible and not tinker at the margins. Yeah, which is what we're doing. Uh, Jill's got to go in a second. So we got so many people want to talk. BJ, can you direct your question to Jill? Because she's going to hop off and try to get into the conference. And she's got a whole bunch of stuff she's doing today at Glasgow. So uh, BJ, if you're still on hold, ask your question to Jill. Hello, I'm BJ, and I have a question for Jill. And that is, what is a good conversation that she's had with somebody that sounds like they have made a, a an understanding now that they finally grasp what's going on? Has she had any of those good conversations? Thank you, BJ. Oh, so many. Uh, it's amazing. Many of them uh, are local Glaswegians who have been attending some of the uh, the kind of like sideline events, going to talks and things like that because they couldn't get into COP26 itself. And so they really were proactive in going to learn more. And so many people that I've talked to, including an amazing family uh, who, I, uh, who was included in the coverage of the Friday March with Greta, um, as soon as they learned what kind of an environmental impact animal agriculture has, that was all they needed. And they have transitioned to vegan and they are so excited and they feel so empowered that they're able to make this change even just within their own home. We need to tackle policy change, obviously, to make sweeping measures happen and sweeping impact. But this is such an empowering decision that people can make. And as long as we can let them know that they are powerful then they are eager to make that change. And that's so, so clear talking to people on the ground. Well, head out and go keep changing hearts and minds. Jill Carnegie doing a great job from Glasgow along with the amazing teams that we have here. And Vegan Evan, we're going to get to him again. Joe, your question. And if you could address it, Thank please, you. to um, Shannon or Vegan Evan, that would be terrific. Thanks, Joe. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call. Great, uh, great so my question is, what are some of the other groups uh, on the ground at, at uh, Glasgow which are either vegan-leaning or can be persuaded to uh, promote plant-based uh, agriculture or, or, or address the root cause of uh, this, this problem? Thank you. Thank you, Joe. And, you know, this is a really good question. I want to say that we were commenting, wow, we wish all the signs were together. Well, they probably would have just edited that out, too. But they were, there were smatterings of signs here, you know, vegan here, vegan there. Um, it's like all these groups converging, desperately trying to get the word out. What's your take on that, Shannon? You're there on the ground. Shannon? 
Okay, Shannon got a little bit uh, frozen there. Well, Leah, you're there on the ground. What's your take on that? Um, so there's a, there's a lot of great um, vegan groups out here at the moment. And I've been connecting with, there's um, Pro-Veg, there's the Humane Society, um, there's Four Paws. And then they're doing a lot of great fringe events as well on the side. So even though in COP26, these issues aren't being spoken about enough, um, on the outside, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's, um, there was a great panel discussion, um, which Stephanie, who's part of Plant-Based Treaty, took part in a couple of days ago. And it was actually um, called Why People Hate Vegans, um, which she actually said, people don't generally hate vegans, but it was a, a great starting point of a discussion um, and yeah, there was some, some great stuff going on. So things are being spoken about. We just need to get them to those in power that are at the top. Yeah. And I mean, if you look back at any social justice movement, the people who are trying to um, evolve the culture are often denigrated. I mean, uh, you saw it with the women's rights movement. Women were described as hysterics because they wanted the right to vote. Uh, that's just one example. Um, Anita, you are doing so much with your amazing team with the plant-based treaty. Dr. Silas Rao is doing so much with climate healers and uh, Vega, his cow uh, campaign, which is so incredible. And you mentioned some of the other. Is there a way to get them all together? I mean, it's like there's a wall and there's a moat. And you experienced it directly, Dr. Rao. You said that there's literally barricades. And it's, it, is it just security or is it we want to keep the, the, the people from getting into this conversation? Indeed, there was a whole story about how the leaders on the outside are mostly female and mostly young, and the leaders on the inside are mostly male and mostly older. That was a news article I read. Um, how do we how do we get together so that together we're this potent force, Anita? Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, the, the fossil fuel treaty is a treaty that we modeled the plant-based treaty on. And, uh, you know, it's getting this widespread support over hundred Nobel laureates, the Dalai Lama. Um, so, you know, we feel that the, plant ba- the plant-based solutions are an equal sort of a part of the solution that if we don't do it, we're going to head towards a climate catastrophe in the near term. So the science is what is going to get us together. The truth is going to get us together. And just like, just uh, spreading this knowledge and creating bottom-up pressure, that's the idea behind the plant-based treaty. Is like, we want to get 10 million people to sign on, 10,000 organizations, 10,000 businesses, 50 cities, create bottom-up pressures on world leaders because most world leaders are not leaders when it comes to important issues of the day. And this, this issue is an existential issue. It's like the, the very survival of our planet. And, and um, the way to do it is just create bottom-up pressure. And, and uh, I just, um, so, so we're sort of going about it systematically. And it is, it is quite amazing uh, how much lovely support there is from everyone. And, you know, we're really grateful. Like, there's, we, people have been coming together so beautifully. Dr. Salish Rao has been so helpful in pulling the community together behind the scenes. Um, all, we've worked with so many groups like Pro-Veg, Vegan Society, H, you know, the Humane Society. Like, everybody's really pulling together. And, and we're getting a lot of celebrity support like never before, like we've been doing this for 10 years with animal vigils. We've never had so much support. So I, I do think there is something different happening now. 
Um, I want to say a couple of things. One is that there is, I am a firm believer in the law of unintended consequences. When um, the one of these uh, government liaison uh, pro-egg uh, councils went after Just Egg, and uh, suddenly he started noticing there were all these negative articles coming out about him in the media, and he started digging, and uh, he ended up finding out that they were conspiring against him. And he said he got $25 million in free advertising out of it. And Just Egg is one of the most successful vegan companies out there. People are uh, switching to plant-based eggs. I got some in my fridge. I might have some for breakfast after this. But uh, Dr. Rao, getting back to this menu issue, which I think is, is really the big, big victory in, in putting the carbon information, which... By the way, the Washington Post question, why is the turkey not higher? Did they include the transportation of the animals? And they really asked obvious questions like, wait a second, you're saying you want a low carbon footprint menu. So you list all the different menu items and you show that meat is so much higher than the vegetables. Why are you still serving it? Do you think it had a boomerang effect? And is it being talked about on the inside where you are amongst the leaders. Yeah, it's definitely had a boomerang effect. Now, this is the fourth uh, COP that I've attended. And I remember COP 17, COP 21, there was hardly any talk about food at all. In COP 21, I could, I could not eat anything in the cafeteria. There was nothing I could eat. I went and complained to the UN office saying, you know, get me at least one dish what the heck, I can't eat anything in the, in the cafeterias. And so they, they then decided to have at least one vegan option in the cafeterias. That's what happened in COP21. Cap, that was um, five years ago, okay, six years ago in Paris. And then Morocco was similar. I mean, Morocco had a little bit more, a uh, few more options for vegans. I think this time I'm seeing this groundswell of discussion around this. And people are saying it should have been vegan right from the outset. It makes absolutely no sense for it not to be vegan. So I'm seeing this exponential growth in the awareness of people uh, within the COP community. All right, we got more callers. Steve is on hold. Your question or thoughts, Steve? Yeah, uh, Steve Rock and Roll Wood here. And uh, I've been a vegan for over 30 years. Uh, I'm a computer engineer. And I've done a lot of digging in the data, and uh, I'm wondering if, if those leaders that still want to eat meat, obviously, uh, know about the health uh, problems uh, and about the nutrition uh, requirements that, uh, that plants provide better. Is, is there some consensus or something like that that we can uh, find out uh, why they still want to serve meat? Um, I think that's an excellent question. Um, Shannon, you're there on the ground. There's vegan restaurants all over Glasgow. In fact, I think you might be coming from one of these vegan venues. We've been going live all week. Um, You have to be living under a rock, okay? Uh, Not to understand that uh, for human health, to end world hunger, because we're only 8 billion humans eating 80 billion animals every year for climate change. Look at the methane. These animals produce the manure that's polluting the waters, the water they drink that's it, 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 contributing to drought, the ocean dead zones. I mean, 
there's so many reasons to go plant-based. Um, I just hope that the uh, UN goes plant-based before we hit the climate apocalypse. I mean, at the rate we're going, we're, we're, the clock is ticking. We're running out of time. And people are seeing the impact of climate change in their own lives every day. This is no longer a hypothetical for the grandkids. This is for Evan himself. Evan, this is about you, young man. Thank you. We, we hope that people start to care more and really understand about how animal agriculture. Go ahead, continue, we hear you. You're going in and out. We're all doing the best we can. All right, um, I'm gonna go to one other caller, Paige. Um, very, very uh, compelling conversation that we're having that people are very interested in. Paige, your question. Okay, restaurants, it's extremely accessible. And so there is no excuse. You would right. have to be under, am I? Okay. All right, yeah, it's hard to hear you. Paige, your question. My question is for the, the youth. So I was just looking to see if there, if Evan could speak, what would he be saying to the world leaders right now? Well, we'll give it one more shot. You got your elevator pitch. Let's see if we can get it done in 30 seconds. Go ahead. Vegan Evan. Even all right. If you. So if, if I could talk to all the world leaders right now, I would tell them a lot of you know that this is coming from animal agriculture. And those of you that don't, I mean, how do you not know that? It's the leading cause, or at least one of the leading causes. And as soon as you learn, you should make the choice right then and there and choose to three times a day, instead of eating innocent animals, to eat plants and to eat. Yes, well, you said it. And I see, you know, I say, vegan Evan for president Thanks. one day. Uh, I love you, dude. You're just amazing. So, um, uh, just to recap and review, I personally believe that we can snatch victory from this defeat about meat being served at COP26, because I will say the fact that the Washington Post did this article means that the summit has lost credibility and that they've been embarrassed. It's one thing for us to be marching up and down. It's another thing for the Washington Post to do a story on this. It is officially an embarrassment. And that deprives all these people of credibility. You're nodding your head. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Anita? I mean, what we're seeing now at COP26 is the mainstreaming of the plant-based food system solution. Like, I think it's, uh, you know, Salash's cow in the room did get into the Guardian photo. Um, and it was mentioned in New York Times. Um, I, I think we're making... Uh, headway in a you know in, like never before there's traction for it because I mean we have at best five years left according to the intergovernmental panel on climate change so the science is there it's and more and more people are realizing it can we get enough people to realize it quickly enough you know for the for us to reach a tipping point in in knowledge and, and action on on plant-based solutions yeah and uh, I do feel, you know, they say, uh, was it Albert Einstein who said a problem can never be solved with the level of consciousness that created the problem? So what I see is it's almost like the generation gap going back to my teenage years uh, with the anti-war movement. Um, you had the older folks who didn't understand the kids with the long hair and jeans. 
and uh, you had the younger kids. I know because my dad was one of the older people. <laughs> His solution, everything was give somebody a haircut. Um, so, uh, Dr. Rao, do you see that generation gap happening? Because um, that generation gap became one of the big forces of cultural change in the United States and globally. Anybody who lived through the uh, anti-war movement uh, knows that it was a shift, a cultural shift that happened that the establishment very, very strongly resisted. But ultimately, it succeeded because the kids, which are like the vegan Evans at the um, at the the marches, 100,000 strong, it was estimated, uh, mostly mostly young people with some of them like Shannon, the parent. But uh, uh, do you see like an anti-war style movement happening regarding this? Yeah, when it comes to uh, the food systems and, and diet, uh, the younger people are way out in front compared to the older people on this one, you know. And I, I just spoke yesterday with, uh, with a group of uh, students from India and they got it. I mean, they were like, you know, of course, we're going to have to change the food system. You know? And they understood what I was saying and they understood why it is the leading cause of climate change. And so it's, it, it becomes self-evident as, as we speak about it more and more. And uh, it's those who are willing to change who generally tend to be the younger generation who pick it up first and then they drag the older people along. You know, it's going to happen whether the older people like it or not. It's going to happen. Yeah. And, and so, again, I, I see the law of unintended consequences. My takeaway, and I didn't really have this realization until I saw the article in the Washington Post, which thanks for sending me, Dr. Rao. I was like, oh, you know, um, uh, when I was a, a very young person, I went to the White House Conference on Youth that uh, President Nixon held because he wanted to get the youth vote. And it became a fiasco. It became a legendary fiasco with a bunch of kids running around. I was one of them. And uh, it was clear that it was a charade. It was a charade. Um, and this is what this conference is starting to look like. It's starting to look like a giant charade on the inside, while on the outside, some really important, authentic things are happening. Um, Leah, while we have you, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, why don't we hit uh, Vegan Evan? What are your thoughts on that? Um, sorry, my connection was cutting out a little bit, so I didn't get the whole conversation, but... Um... Go ahead, just talk. Just say whatever you can, because we're, we are having some connection problems. Hey, we're live in Glasgow, you know, unless you're hardwired. Do you know how many thousands and thousands of people are there trying to do live streaming? Uh, it does make it more challenging. I remember I was at the Women's March and I couldn't get live at all anywhere within the Women's March. So um, what we're bringing you is actually pretty amazing. Whoever can talk, can you, I think you can talk vegan. Shannon, take it away for a minute. I think I'm stable. Thank you. All right. So a, a couple of things I want to say, I know I missed some things, but some things that were encouraging and uh, to Annie's question earlier, I met some really awesome politicians from 
the Party for Animals and the Animal Welfare Party, which are part of the Netherlands and the UK. And that was awesome. Um, I'm really happy Jill's had so many amazing receptive conversations. I've been laughed at quite a bit while I've been on the megaphone, which is what normally happens to me at the climate marches. I've been talking about nitrous oxide and it's 296 times the global warming potential of CO2. And I've had girls holding climate change signs, laughing at me, telling me how much they love the taste of beef, which was, you know, really discouraging. So um, there's been a lot of great conversations at the same time as well, but there's like a lot of like, oh, but we don't need to stop eating meat. We just need to do it sustainable. And um, had people from us trying to hand us stuff. We asked them, they get very offensive and nasty about it which is kind of surprising but like tons of great conversations too and um it's been you know um a really interesting trip we are really disappointed with the menu we thought that um it was going to be all plant-based dr rao also told us that there's not much on the agenda to do with you know animal agriculture which just doesn't make any sense we know it's the leading driver so evie anything you want to add real quick (laughs) Well, it has been very discouraging, like she said, about the people laughing at us. Well, we're just trying to help them out, but we hope that the people that do hear us and don't laugh go home and research and go vegan. Ah, You are, oh, I love you. You know what they say, first they laugh at you, then they get angry at you, and then they join you, right? Join you, yep, right. Now, I just want to, we only have a couple of seconds. Hey, I made vegan... Okay, Dr. Rao. Sorry, I made fun of vegans. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was vegetarian for 19 years before going vegan, and the whole time I made fun of vegans. I thought they were crazy, and I actually thought that it was helping me to advocate for animals by talking about how crazy they were. And, um, you know, same like you said, then I joined them, and now I know the truth, and we're going to fight. Yeah, and uh, you got my dog barking, so uh, it was a good point. Dr. Rao, when you held that news conference, did you hit anybody who was an official, uh, or, or was it more the people? In other words, uh, it, it's like walking the halls of Congress. You try to get to a decision maker. You try to get into the ears of somebody who can actually do something to implement some of this. Do you think you hit any of those people? Not at the press conference itself, but outside the press conference, we spoke to the uh, ambassador for the chief envoy for the UK for COP26. He he reports to Alok Sharma directly. And we gave him a copy of the book, Glenn Merz's book. And we told him why animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change, that he needs to read that. And uh, that unless they are addressing it, they're not being serious at COP. And so he nodded and he took it and he left. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I think this is, this is how we make progress. You know, we, we just keep, keep at it. We keep sending them the information that they need. And eventually the truth always wins out. Well, I'm not a football fan and I know very little about it, but I know that sometimes it takes you a long time to get like two yards and then somebody at some other time throws a pass that just wins the game. So I think we're, we're, we've done that hard work just going yard by yard. I think that the time for one of those Hail Mary passes has come and we're going to have a touchdown. 
And we don't know it. I probably messed up a whole bunch of football stuff, by the way. But you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think that we're, you know, I always say do the work and stay out of the results. And then something comes out of left field and goes, boom, right? I mean, I have also been laughed at. I've been ridiculed. I've had people go, ha, especially in the media, to my face, just like that. Or, but um, then when Beyond Meat went public, they started texting me. Oh, you were prescient uh, in your advocacy because the stock went public. Uh, So that was an example of how there was this leap, you know, made with this one move. Where do you see the leaps coming now, uh, Anita, as we uh, move forward? We're still in COP26, but post-COP. I think post-COP, the leaps have to come like getting out of our vegan bubble and just like mainstreaming it. And uh, so we're beginning to see some press interest. Uh, we're beginning, like for in the case of the plant-based treaty, we're getting a lot of political endorsements, including like from non-vegans. Like there was a green member of parliament in Poland that was an omnivore. His son was vegetarian. He knows that plant-based is the solution. So they're moving. So we're getting a lot of that kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of the endorsers of the plant-based treaty are omnivore or we flexitarian and so but they know that the solution is plant-based so i think um moving forward where we want to go is build alliances with environmental groups climate justice groups uh labor groups schools community centers religious groups we have a religious open letter that went out um we have four open letters on the plant-based treaty website a scientist letter uh interfaith letter a youth letter and a politician's letter. And and that's the kind of work we're doing. We're trying to go outside the vegan bubble where everyone has a responsibility to speak up in every field, in every workspace, in every community, in every school. That's the direction we're moving in because we want to create this incredible bottom-up pressure. You are absolutely right about getting out of the vegan bubble. This week, I went to a McDonald's for I think the second time in my life, I think I might've been there when I was eight years old for French fries, which are not vegan apparently, but to test out the new McPlant. And honestly, it was an eye opener to, to be in the restaurant and, and look around and see the ordering patterns. The vegan bubble is very different from the world out there. And we really need to reach those people because what we're offering will improve their health. And, um, essentially save their lives uh, and um, avoid a climate apocalypse, which is barreling toward us. I want to thank everybody who took part in this panel. And Leah, thank you for, uh, you know, all your hard work there on the ground. Um, Way to go with uh, getting to Al Gore. And thank you, Vegan Evan and Mom Shannon, for your tireless work. And thank you, Dr. Rao, for um, also tireless work and strategizing. And of course, thank you, Anita, for your leadership with the plant-based treaty, with the SAVE movement. These are two um, really powerful forms of advocacy. You can learn more by going to theplantbasedtreaty.org. Sign the plant-based treaty. It takes five seconds. You can sign as an individual uh, there you go, right there, an NGO, theplantbasedtreaty.org. And um, together we can make this change. Be strong, take action. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here on Voice America Radio, Jane Unchained News. <music> 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. 